Hey there, friends. How's it going? My name is Kyle Devlin, and I am the host of this podcast. This is the Having a Blast podcast. Having a Blast is a pop punk and emo podcast where we'll be doing a deep dive on important albums and bands. We'll also be speaking with band members, producers, and friends. If you happen to like what you hear, if you could do me a huge favor, perhaps give us a five-star review. That just really helps get the algorithms working in our favor, and then more people can hear the podcast. Or Another thing that really helps us out is if you share it with a friend. If you've got a friend that enjoys this type of music, pop punk and indie, I'd greatly appreciate it. All right, without further ado, let's get into it. friends what is up hope you're doing well out there today i'm excited because we're going to be talking about one of my favorite bands of my lifetime and we're going to be talking about the starting line and doing a deep dive on the album say it like you mean it Before we go into that, I just want to talk a little bit about this band. This band had a fairly tumultuous history, a lot of ups and downs, I would imagine. It'd be great to have a discussion with one of those guys, and I hope to do that at some point. the first time I heard the starting line I was introduced to them by the legendary mp3.com I remember hearing three is a charm and immediately being hooked to their particular sound this is around the time that the influence of Jimmy World's clarity was really being felt in the pop punk community and it really inspired bands like the starting line newfound glory yellow card this is also around the time where I discovered yellow card so this is an exciting time for pop punk music and emo music for lack of a, a better term. I often think of these bands as pop punk bands, especially Say It Like You Mean It. I think that's quintessential pop punk of the early 2000s and the drive through era. But I do remember listening to With Hopes of Starting Over, that first EP that they released after changing their name from Sunday Drive to The Starting Line. And I'm going to talk a little bit about their formation and the history of the band. But I remember hearing Three's a Charm, loving that song. I really enjoyed Kenny's voice. I liked the different guitars that were layered over each other and I could definitely hear the influence of Jimmy World with some of the sparklier guitar lines and this is a band that we were listening to all the time in the van anytime we would go to shows we were always listening to the starting line on Warp Tour in 2002 before the record came out I remember being handed a drive through sampler and it had two songs on it it had the best of me and given the chance in that order and they're switched on the album but man we listened to those two songs just on repeat we were obsessed. I was such a big fan of Bleed American, and then a year later, Mark Trombino was producing all the biggest albums, it seemed. He was one of the most prolific and popular producers of that time, and his records just sounded amazing. They still sound amazing. They still hold up. Drums still cut through. Vocals are layered and processed, and I love the way he mixes his harmonies high in the mix so you can hear them. They were even doing some three-part harmonies on that record, and I think it was subsequently after hearing that two-song sampler, we immediately heard Greg's Last Day on the Atticus comp, and we knew that that was 
was going to be a song that was probably not going to be on Say It Like You Mean It just because the recording was so much different. And then around the same time we were listening to that EP. So we put two and two together that Greg's last day was probably an EP song and didn't know if they were going to re-record it. Thought they might because a lot of bands were doing that around that time. But let's talk a little bit about the formation of the starting line. So the starting line is an American pop punk band and they were based in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. So a lot of East Coast bands were getting gobbled up by a drive through and victory around this time. There was a big burgeoning scene, not just in Philadelphia, but obviously in New York, New Jersey, with Taking Back Sunday and Brand New coming out of the East Coast as well around this time. In the early years of the band, in 1999, the band, and I'm mentioning this because I think it's fascinating, their formation, because Kenny is the young one out of the band. The other guys are a little bit older. But in 1999, the band that would become the starting line was initiated in Churchville, Pennsylvania via an email. <laughs> That's how we were communicating with people via email. It wasn't just spam emails back then. The email was from guitarist Matt Watts, the guitar player who works for Fender now. And he was sending an email to vocalist slash bassist Kenneth Vasoli. Matt mentions in the Somebody's Gonna Miss Us DVD that he sent out over 200 emails and Kenny was the only one that wrote back. So pretty serendipitous. And at the time, Kenny was 14 years old. And in the email, it asked Vasoli, who was at the time in a band called Smash Adams, a great band name, if he was interested in jamming and stuff, as the message title read. And only a few weeks later, Vasoli found himself rehearsing with his future bandmates, Watts, guitarist Mike, and drummer Tom Griskwicks. Soon, the band started touring under the name Sunday Drive, which is a pretty emo band name, if I do say so myself selling out homemade merchandise and self-recorded demo cassettes titled Four Songs. Their first official release was a three-way split with the Jimmy Tuesday Band and the commercials contributing three songs each released on Kickstart Audio in the year 2000, 21 years ago. It's hard to believe. So Kenneth, by that time, he was 15. Sunday Drive was soon approached by We The People Records, which was a very prolific label and got a lot of bands off the ground from the East Coast back in the day. We The People asked to produce a recording session titled the We The People Recording Sessions Now. And this was set for a release in December of 2000. And there was 12 songs. So there was quite a bit of songs. But these were initially planned to become the band's first debut full length on We The People Records. But they ended up serving only as demo tracks for the future releases. So there was a couple songs on here, including Saddest Girl Story and Leaving. So the band then immediately signed to Drive Through Records in April of 2001. And it's hard to believe that it was 20 years ago now. It was that early. But the full length, Say It Like You Mean It, didn't come out until the following summer. So they were on drive through for a little while before the record came out. But I'm sure it was a whirlwind around that time. They were probably writing a lot and touring a ton. I remember they were on the road with Yellow Card quite a bit in the early 2002 and then maybe the end of 2001 as well. Yellow Card and that band, they had a, a special bond. The first iteration of the Best of Me video, there's actually a couple members of Yellow Card. I know Sean's in the video. You can still see him on YouTube. That's a weird video. <laughs> on drive through they soon released their debut EP, the one that I mentioned that we listened to a lot with hopes of starting over. And they later found out that the name Sunday Drive was already taken by a Christian rock band. And now that I think about it, that definitely sounds like a Christian rock band name. So they changed their band name to The Starting Line. 
And I would imagine it's pretty obvious the meaning behind the name. That was where they were officially starting. So the band has said that there is no significant reason for the name being the starting line. It was the only name that they could all agree upon. So yeah, the starting line was born. And end of 2001 into 2002, drive through was generating tons and tons of hype. I remember I went to see Goldfinger and Zebrahead and Real Big Fish and Homegrown opened and that's where I found out Homegrown had gotten signed to drive through which was exciting. And this is a year before, this is the summer of 2001, right before I went on my first official tour playing with the Underdog Conspiracy when I was 17. So I knew that drive through was poised to explode and that's exactly what they did. Okay, so let's get into Say It Like You Mean It. So Say It Like You Mean It is the debut studio album full length by American pop punk band The Starting Line following their debut EP with Hopes of Starting Over that came out exactly a year before. And let's talk a little bit about the background and production of the album. Guitarist Matt Watts and drummer Mike Gola met while at a mutual friend's band practice. They formed their own band and started searching for a vocalist. The pair looked through AOL's member directory. I remember doing this as well and emailed a number of people and they came across Kenny and subsequently met him while he was playing with his own band, the one that I mentioned earlier, Smash Adams. And he was drafted into Watts and Gola's band, which broke up after a week. (laughs) The members remained in contact and formed the starting line in mid-1999 under the name Sunday Drive. Drummer Tom Griskwicks was brought into the fold after him and Matt Watts met at a restaurant. Mike Gola subsequently moved to guitar after playing the drums because he was the drummer in the original band and they wrote material in their practice space and tracked demos on their own. They started gaining publicity with the aid of AOL and mp3.com, which is where I discovered them. Independent label We The People Records became aware of the band's demos and signed them in mid-2000. So let's go back to the AOL directory because this is a fascinating thing. This was the beginning of social media, really. Before MySpace, before Zanga, before Friendster and all that stuff, you had an AIM screen name. Well, what was cool is AIM eventually gave people the ability to create their own profile, if you will. So there weren't pictures associated with this, but you could put a little bit of information about yourself and bands that you liked. And what was cool is you could search. There was a search engine on it. So you could search for a particular key terms. And this is one of the things that Game Time was doing. I was doing this. I would do this thousands of times a day if I could, you know, just sit in my office in my parents' house and do this. I would search terms like Rufio or the starting line or yellow card, all one word. And then all of a sudden you'd be given a directory of hundreds, if not thousands of people with AIM screen names with bands that they liked in their profile. So they would literally put bands that I like, and then they would just list them all out. And so that was our directory. And I would just basically cold message all these people and say, hey, if you like this band, you might like my band. And there was even a period of time where I was sending out demos. I was literally sending CDs in the mail to these people if they wanted them. And then all of a sudden we'd be in their town and they would come see us play. So this is grassroots marketing. This is guerrilla marketing before social media marketing was really a thing. I didn't really know what I was doing. I just knew I wanted everybody who listened to bands like The Starting Line and Yellow Card to listen to my band because I thought they would like it. So back to The Starting Line. The band recorded an album's worth of material with producer Chris Badami, which I didn't realize. That's pretty cool. And he's still producing. He's worked with bands like Alistair and RX Bandits. So they recorded with him an album's worth of material, which was due for release in early 2001. However, it wasn't released due to the intervention of independent label Drive Through Records. 
who saw the band's obvious commercial potential. We the People Records, who had ties with Drive Through, had arranged a showcase for the label's founders, Stephanie and Richard Rines. The pair were impressed with the band, but thought the songs lacked choruses. And I know they were big fans of those big choruses. You know, they wanted those big Blink-182 anthemic choruses. The band went away and reworked the material before signing to Drive Through in April of 2001. At the time, Vasoli was in high school still, and Watts was in college. With help from a guidance counselor, Kenny actually graduated early. The band changed their name to the starting line following threats from a Missouri-based act, of course, Missouri, <laughs> called Sunday Drive. The band released their EP with the hopes of starting over in July, so almost exactly a year before Say It Like You Mean It came out. Following this, the band became a full-time touring act, and they were touring quite a bit. The starting line canceled their tour dates in January 2002 due to Kenny contracting mono, and I remember hearing something about that back then, but yeah, he must have recovered by the time the summer came around and they were playing Warp Tour. Later that month, the band began recording Say It Like You Mean It in January of 2002 at Media Vortex with producer, legendary producer Mark Trombino, who Mike Gola said brought an extra set of ears to the table. Yeah, and a million dollar recording. <laughs> too. Didn't cost that much, but it certainly sounded like it. Sessions were delayed due to a family emergency, which resulted in a cancellation of some tour dates. So it took them a minute to get out to California to record Leaving and Saddest Girl Story, two tracks that originally appeared on the EP with hopes of starting over, were re-recorded for Say It Like You Mean It. And that was a good decision because those are two, I think, of some of the best songs on Say It Like You Mean It. And the re-recordings are just miles above the EP. Almost There Going Nowhere, Cheek to Cheek, Less Coast Envy, and The Drama Summer, which were originally recorded for the We The People album were also re-recorded. Nate Barklow of Finch and Keith Goodwin of Days Away contributed additional vocals. The former on Cheek to Cheek and This Ride, that's the one that Nate screams on. I didn't realize that Keith Goodwin from Days Away recorded some vocals on Left Coast Envy. That's cool. I didn't realize that. That's a fun fact. Love Days Away. Love Good Old War. I'll have to go back and listen to Left Coast Envy and see if I can pick him out. Trombino mixed the recordings at the Robot Factory in Los Angeles, California, and he was doing that a lot. He was producing and mixing, and he was such a prominent and confident and really exceptional mixer. He had a lot of cool, inventive ideas for that time period, especially with Bleed American. I mean, he was just cutting up things, and if you go back and you listen to the Bleed American deep dive that I do on the third episode of this podcast, you can hear me talk about some of the techniques he was using when it came to mixing. He was such a talented mixer. Still is in a lot of ways, and I think that's predominantly what he's doing now. He's mixing records. I know he mixed The Greatest Generation by the Wonder Years. I feel like that was the last thing I remember seeing his name stamped on. And then Say It Like You Mean It was mastered by Stephen Marcussen at Marcussen Mastering in Hollywood. And I'm surprised it wasn't Ted Jensen because I feel like he's mastered all of these records at some point. <laughs> Composition on the record. Musically, the album drew comparisons to Blink-182 and Jimmy Eat World and Newfound Glory, obviously. But I think the starting line carved to their own sound, especially in subsequent releases and based like a true story and direction. They definitely took a right turn and ventured into their own territory. Say It Like You Mean It has songs that are a little bit more straightforward, obviously, a little bit more pop punk, a little bit more T chord progression down the line. All of the songs were written by the band except The Drama Summer, which was credited solely to Kenny. And that makes sense because it's kind of a solo singer-songwriter song. I gotta be honest here. 
this might be blasphemy for some of you out there listening, but I can't really listen to the Drama Summer. I think the Drama Summer is probably the one outlier, the song that is most consistently skipped by me. I think this record probably is a perfect pop punk record if you leave that song off. I'm not a huge fan of it. I'm not a huge fan of the open strumming. I feel like it sounds different than the rest of the record. That's just my own personal take. I like to keep this stuff positive, but for that one, I think this record is a bona fide classic, perfect record if you leave that one off. Still a a classic in my mind though. The band usually worked on material together through jamming, which these days is not really how bands do it. They're demoing more often than not and then sending it to other band members. Maybe there's still bands still jamming out songs and working on compositions that way. I'm sure there are. They would jam and they would hear a part that they enjoyed and then they would expand on it like most bands did around that time. On occasion, Mike Gola and Vasoli arrived at practice with complete songs already written. So they were the primary songwriters. I think Kenny was probably a primary songwriter in the band and probably became more so towards the end of the band's career. Kenny said the meaner tracks were about one of his ex-girlfriends, Shocker, and there are a lot of songs about his ex-girlfriend on this song. If you listen to the lyrics, you can clearly tell, leaving especially. He initially promised not to write a song about her, but ended up writing six songs (laughs) instead. Okay, so he broke that promise. Similarly, Hello Houston and A Good Night's Sleep were about a different ex-girlfriend. Hmm. Hell hath no fury for a young emo boy. Vasoli said that despite him not being that bitter about it anymore, quote unquote, (laughs) not bitter or anything, wrote seven songs about it, no big. He found it funny to rehash. So that sounds like a 16-year-old said that, or a 17-year-old, 18-year-old. He was 18 when this record came out. That's one of the alluring things about the starting line for me anyways, is because Kenny and I are the same age. So when we were playing Warp Tour, I was looking to the main stage or one of the big side stages where the starting line was playing and I was sort of enamored thinking hmm okay well if he can do it you know I can do it too and at the time I was doing it I just wasn't signed to drive through and I wasn't recording with Mark Trombino the opening track up and go details a girl leaving despite having no reason to do so and was compared to Anthem 2 by Blink 182 I guess I can see the parallels there given the chance probably my favorite song on the record and it was on that sampler we listened to it so much I love it because it talks about having fun at shows and being grateful and being appreciative of your fans. That song is obviously about the band's fans, specifically the ones in New Jersey. And I would imagine they were playing lots of very fun shows in New Jersey on the East Coast with emphatic and enthusiastic crowd members because the scene at that time was just massive. There was something in the air. You could smell it. I was not out in the East Coast, obviously. I'm from the Midwest. I'm from Kansas City, Missouri. So I didn't experience it like that, but I did experience my own excitement when it came to the scene around this time, the early 2000s. And I was really fortunate to be in a band that was hardworking and playing shows and we had a lot of fun. It looks like they, the starting line, they found it hard to attract an audience in their home state of Pennsylvania, probably just because the scene wasn't as big as it was in New Jersey. They found it easier in New Jersey. Going back to these songs, obviously there were a lot of people drawing comparisons to Blink around that time because Blink was the most produced sounding pop punk band of that time. So there was a lot of bands that were trying to capture that same energy. It was reminiscent of tracks heard on Enema of the State that came out in 1999. Leaving sees Kenny yearning for unrequited love, as I mentioned before, the 
ex-girlfriend songs. The Best of Me has an acoustic intro before shifting into a punk rock track. I'd still say it's a pop punk song, even though it's a little bit faster. And I remember hearing it on the radio, which was kind of interesting to hear a song with that type of upbeat tempo on the radio. But they did play it here in Kansas City. A Good Night's Sleep is a ballad and was reminiscent of Eyesore by Newfound Glory. I don't know who's drawing all these comparisons here, but yeah, I guess I can hear the comparisons definitely to Newfound Glory. I remember hearing Kenny's voice for the first time and thinking he sounded a lot like Jordan from Newfound Glory. What was great about Say It Like You Mean It, just the way it was EQ'd and produced by Mark Trombino, he really managed to get more of a deeper tone, tonality of Kenny's voice. And ultimately, I think that's what his voice was. That's what he grew into because his voice just gets deeper and deeper on each release. Less of the nasal high timbre tonality from Jordan of Newfound Glory. So the album was released on July 16th, 2002. On February 6th, 2002, Say It Like You Mean It was announced for release in July. That's a long time. I'm surprised they announced it that early. In April 2002, the band toured Japan with Planet Smashers and the band Nicotine. In April and May, the band went on tour with Brand New and Finch. What a tour. The trek included an appearance at Skate and Surf Fest, and there's an interview on YouTube from that particular Skate and Surf Fest the first one that they played. Following this, the band went on a UK tour with Newfound Glory and Finch. Ah, they were just banging on all cylinders. I bet they were having a good time. Between late June and mid-August, the band performed on the Warp Tour, appearing on the drive through stage. And this was the year that Game Time played for the first time. This was an exciting time. I was watching the drive through stage every day. I remember Yellow Card and Glassjaw and American Hi-Fi were also playing that stage, so that was pretty cool. Say It Like You Mean It was made available for streaming on July 13th before being officially released on July 16th, so a few days before. And I remember they were doing like these tiny websites where you could stream the whole album. They did the same thing for Homegrown's Kings of Pop. And that was kind of cool. I forget what those things were called. They were promotional album streams, but they had a specific name for them. If you remember, hit me up. Tell me what it was. It was released on July 16th as a joint release by Drive Through and a major label, MCA Records. So they were upstreamed technically to MCA, but it was a joint release. And that's probably one of the reasons they had so much money behind it. And so many promotional materials. The band then went on tour with Real Big Fish in September and October, and I do remember seeing them in Columbia, Missouri at the Blue Note on that tour. That was fun. And I'm pretty sure, I want to say No Use for a Name played that night too. No, I'm thinking of the following year with Sum 41. It was Sum 41, The Starting Line, and No Use for a Name, which is a great tour. A music video for The Best of Me was posted on launch.com. This is early days of streaming. The video starts with a guy attempting to impress a girl by, by playing music from a boombox outside of her residence. When the music stops, the band appears and starts performing. So that's a nice little nod to say anything in John Cusack. That was actually the second music video. I remember the first music video. You can still find it. If you got the drive through DVD, the first one, it's on there. And Richard and Stephanie, I think their brother or one of their friends is in it. He's kind of the creepy old dude in it, which we're definitely going to do a deep dive on drive through records at some point. We're going to talk about that record label. We're going to talk about all of it. But I remember the first music video was released before the album came out. And then they made another video for it, probably because they were really pushing it to radio and they didn't like the quality of the first music video, but that was the one that Sean from Yellow Card was in. I think maybe Ben was in it too, or maybe Ryan. I'll have to go back and watch that, but it's a silly music video. They're in an arcade. In early and mid-November of that year, 2002, the band toured with Taking Back Sunday, The Early November, and The Exit before touring with Park. The Early November and Yellow Card for the remainder of the month was who they toured with, so they were out on the road with Yellow Card, and Yellow Card actually wrote a song. It's the third song on 
the underdog EP, and they wrote that about the starting line. So you can go back and listen to that song. I love that song. I'm forgetting the name of it, but just such an amazing track. But that song was about their time with the starting line on tour with them. Further touring with Taking Back Sunday alongside the reunion show in North Star followed in December. So these were good tours to be on <laughs> around that time. These bands were exploding. In January of 2003, the band went on tour in Japan with Newfound Glory and Good Charlotte before embarking on a European tour with Real Big Fish again and Sugar Colt. To coincide with these shows, Say It Like You Mean It was released in the territories. Between mid-February and late April, they went on a U.S. tour, the one that I mentioned, with Sum 41, No Use for a Name, and Authority Zero. I forgot Authority Zero opened that tour. What a crazy tour. That was good. That was a fun one. Sum 41 was touring on Does This Look Infected, so they were full-on rock stars at that point. A new music video was posted online for the best of me through MTV.com on June 13th. Okay, so, yeah. And this is the one where the video starts with a guy attempting to impress a girl by playing music from a boombox outside of her residence. And when the music stops, the band appears and starts performing. This is the second music video. So the band then went on tour after releasing that video in the UK in June with support from, from Autumn to Ashens in the reunion show. It's hard to believe the reunion show. They didn't, never really picked up much steam like these other bands, but they were getting on some great tours. Victory Records band. The Best of Me was officially released as a single on June 16th of 2003. So well after the release, almost an entire year. The band performed a few shows with May and River City High and Zoloff, the Rock and Roll Destroyer, in early and mid-July of 2003. And later that summer, the band appeared on the Warp Tour, playing the main stage this time, but they didn't play the entire thing. And I do remember seeing them that year as well. The Best of Me was officially released to modern rock radio stations on July 22nd, 2003. And between late August and mid-October, the band performed on the Drive Through Records 2003 Invasion Tour, and they were one of the headliners. On September 8th, the band performed on Jimmy Kimmel Live. And it's hard to believe that Jimmy Kimmel's been doing it that long. 20 years. That's crazy. This was followed by an appearance on IMX, which was an American music television program that aired from 2002 to 2004 on MMUSA, described as a fully converged music industry simulation game and part TV show, part internet game. <laughs> the program asked viewers to register at the network's website and buy stock in popular artists. Okay. So they played that in 2003 as well. In the same month, a music video was filmed for Leaving and it premiered during MTV 2's rock program in November of that year. That's a cool video as well. In a train station, I believe. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about the reception and the legacy of the record. All Music reviewer Kurt Morris said the record was full of bubbly, positive lyrics amidst plenty of upbeat and catchy hooks, end quote. Yeah, it's kind of a breakup record. A lot of songs about girls, a lot of songs about relationships. Pretty typical of this time. And it really, I think, inspired bands like The Main, Mayday Parade, Boys Like Girls, the next wave of pop punk, because that's all they were writing about. Literally every song, if you listen to those records, they're all about relationships and ladies and yeah, you know, if you're into that sort of thing, it's cool. I think it illustrates a time and place. These days, I like different themes besides relationships and songs. They tend to hit a little bit harder when an album displays themes beyond relationships or just different things in general. Some critics noted that the band had based their sound on the Green Day blueprint with plenty of bright sing-along choruses and hyper-strung power chords. And yeah, there was a lot of critics around this time that were probably just blanket comparing bands like these to Blink-182 and Green Day. And it makes sense. And despite the comparison to Green Day, one critic viewed the starting line as being more progressive musically and lyrically than Green Day. And I would agree with that. Probably due to having, you know, more members and just being able to do more 
things. Green Day hadn't put out American Idiot at this point, but they really progressed with Warning. I think you could argue that, especially with the production and just the arrangement of the songs. But I think the starting line took notes from Jimmy Eat World, which I would also agree is a more progressive musically and lyrically band than a band such as Green Day. Doesn't mean I necessarily think they're better than Green Day, but more progressive in their sound, more progressive in their music. As of July 2007, it has sold 300,000 copies. So say it like you mean it, by 2007, it sold 300,000 copies, which is really impressive. It's a ton of records for an independent band, although it was jointly released by a major label. So they had some help in that department as far as distribution goes and promotion and marketing of the record. In October 2012, independent label SRC Vinyl released the We The People album under the name The Early Years. Following this, the band went on an anniversary tour, 10-year tour for Say It Like You Mean It, during which they performed it in its entirety in December. In May of 2014, the album was repressed on vinyl through SRC Vinyl with the bonus tracks Greg's Last Day and an acoustic version of Best Of Me. Later that year, Rock Sound included the album on their the 51 most essential pop punk albums of all time list at number 21. Kerrang! similarly included the album at number 27 on the 51 greatest pop punk albums list. Why 51? I don't get that. In a 2016 listicle, Rob Brasso of Side TV viewed the album as a masterwork of the era-defining drive-through records ouvoir, end quote. And I would agree with that for sure. It's synonymous with drive-through, that scene, that time and place. It was an exciting time. I love revisiting this record. Anytime I think of this record, I just immediately remember asphalt and hot days out on the Warp Tour in 2002. Being in LA, being in California, watching those shows, watching those shows that would ultimately be recorded for the drive-through records DVD, which I would watch and think of the same things and just takes me back to that time and place of being excited by bands and releases by Homegrown, Finch, Alistair, The Early November, Newfound Glory, Phoenix DX, and The Starting Line. So there you have it. That's my deep dive. Favorite song. I mentioned it, right? Yeah, Given the Chance. Love that song. I really like this ride too. There's just something about that song that's a bit of a departure, but it still sounds sonically like the rest of the album. I love that intro, that melody, and it's a nice bridge too with the tremoling guitar and the guest spot from Nate from Finch. I really like that part. And this record doesn't have nearly as many bells and whistles as Bleed American, probably for obvious reasons. He probably just didn't have as much time to work with this album, but sonically, it sounds just as good. The guitars sound amazing. The drums punch right through. You can tell that they were compressing the hell out of these tracks because it literally sucks some of the sound out anytime you hit the cymbals. And it does that on the Finch record as well, but it still sounds good, still defines that time and place. I think it holds up along with a lot of the records that were coming out around that time, especially from Mark Trombino. Yeah. And the length is kind of long. It's 47 minutes and 35 seconds, but it's still a breezy listen. And I tend to listen to this record from front to back. And like I said, I tend to skip the drama summer. <laughs> Sorry if you love that song. I just do not. So yeah, I feel like I could do a deep dive on their other two records as well. Two of my other favorite records of all time. I love Based on a True Story. It was a grower for sure. It's definitely a departure from Say It Like You Mean It, but still a classic in its own right. I have a random story about Kenneth Vasoli on the Warp Tour. I remember the first date we played was Kansas City and I remember seeing, because after we played, we played first and then I remember seeing Kenny rocking out to Thrice on a small side stage in 2002 and I'll never forget my friend took one last gulp of a water bottle and then subsequently threw it in the air. I'm not sure why we did that when we were kids. It's kind of silly. You know, you don't want to get hit even by an empty water bottle, but he threw it up in the air and I remember 
remember it came down and landed on Kenny's face and I felt really bad and I don't know why my friend did that. I forget which friend did that, but it hit Kenny right in the face while he was rocking out to Thrice and I feel bad about that. So if Kenny ever listens to this, which I know you won't, I just want to apologize for my friend. He didn't mean to hit you. It just happened. You were standing several rows in front of us of people. So it was kind of a one in a million shot, but I hope you're well out there and thank you for making this record. Okay, cool. So there you have it. My deep dive. Say it like you mean it. The starting line. What a great band. I feel like in many ways this album should have been larger, but also kind of surprising at how big it was. Maybe we'll do another deep dive on the entirety of the history of the band, the starting line, because it's an interesting one. Or at the very least, I'd love to speak with one of those guys, and I plan to at some point. I'd love to get Matt on the show or Kenneth on the show, or even Mike or Tom. I'd love to speak with those guys too, get their account. I know they play the holiday shows every year, which is cool. So they're keeping the legacy live of the starting line and who knows maybe i'll fly out there and see their holiday shows they just announced them for this year so they're playing their hometown of philadelphia in december 2021 all right so i've got some cool interviews in the works i'm excited to get those out to you if you're listening i appreciate you i'm grateful for you if you have a story with the starting line say it like you mean it and you want to tell me hit me up my handle on instagram is kyle underscore devlin underscore underscore i'd love to hear from you i'd love to talk to you about these classic records and these deep dives let me know what you think and until next time take care Hey, thanks so much for listening. I really do appreciate it. I hope you had a good time. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you want to help the podcast out, if you want to do a massive solid for us here at Having a Blast, if you could just leave us a review, a five-star review would be amazing wherever you listen to podcasts. Or if you just want to recommend this podcast to a friend who might enjoy it. All right. Hope you have a wonderful day. Hope you're having a blast listening to your favorite records. I'll talk to you later. Hey.